every interview I was doing as me getting ready, learning and growing for the right opportunities. So like every interview before that, I would just get a little better, get a little better. And when I came to this one, I was feeling confident and I already had been in enough interviews where I just knew the questions I needed to ask. Hello and welcome to the Scrimba podcast. On this weekly show, we speak of successful developers about their advice on how to learn to code and get your first job as a developer. I'm your host, Alex Booker, and today I'm joined by Spencer Dye, a recently hired junior developer. Spencer started his journey into tech some years ago with an interest in graphic design and then later Webflow, which is a no-code website builder. It wasn't long though before Spencer ran into the limitations of Webflow and taught himself to code on Scrimba and stayed consistent using a habit tracker. Building on his related experience and using an efficient job hunting strategy which you will learn in this episode, it took Spencer just five months to land his first role, which is pretty amazing. I'm really excited for you to learn from Spencer's experience firsthand, but first I need to quickly remind you that if you enjoy the episode, you share it with a friend learning to code. It helps this free podcast more than you know, and we appreciate your support as we set out to produce the best podcast for anyone learning to code. With all that said, this is Spencer Dye. Let's get into it. I work, I've always been to computers. Ever since I was like 13, I think is when I put together my first computer, always put games on computers. I mean, I just spent a lot of my time. I was kind of an introvert in school, so spent a lot of time on it. And originally I was into design, like graphic design. So I would be making logos or just doing design for various things. And, you know, of course, when you're doing design, you're kind of in a parallel world with development, especially like web development. So I've always known that it existed. And when I was in the ninth grade, uh, the first time I ever wrote a line of code was uh, this web development class. And I learned a little bit of HTML and CSS. And we also did a little bit of like Scratch or Visual Basic or something like that. Like a, a visual, you put code blocks together. And so like, that was the first taste I ever had of it. Ninth grade in America. How old is that? 14, 15 years old. Oh, wow. That's pretty young. Yeah. But like, it was just minor, you know, like it was a class. Uh, I enjoyed it and forgot most of what I did there. Like two years later, it didn't really matter. And then I went to college. I was going to be a biology major. Did that for a year. And then I decided I'm going to switch majors to accounting. And I didn't necessarily enjoy that. But in the meantime, and during over the summer, I actually used this tool. I don't know if you ever heard of it. It's called Webflow. It's essentially a web development tool, but you're not really writing code. But that tool gave me a really, really good introduction to like the basics and fundamentals of CSS and HTML because the box model, it's a kind of a hard thing for some people to wrap their heads around. But the way that this tool introduced it made it really easy for me to get comfortable with. And all the CSS properties are the same. So I understood what the properties did. So when it came time for me to want to transition to code, it was a lot easier. I feel like I got a big advantage because I had a really good background to work from. That's so interesting. Like I'd never thought about Webflow as a more visual tool to help you understand underlying DOM concepts, right? Like the box model. It's kind of crazy, yeah. Because padding, margin, all those kind of things, you're just configuring them with an interface as opposed to with code. But then when you start to learn CSS in this case, you can just focus on the syntax you already understand the concept exactly yeah so that's like my first taste of it because i already was doing freelance design work and so i was like oh maybe i can do freelance web design because like webflow is not coding and like people who don't know how to code can use webflow i mean not maybe as proficient as someone who knows how to code but you could use it so like i was starting to use that 
And every so often there were some limitations I'd hit and I'd have to, you know, use some custom code. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. And then eventually after doing some, you know, work, I was working for this agency doing work with Webflow. And uh, I decided that I didn't want to go to college anymore because like, I didn't want to be an accountant. I was already making a little bit of money doing Webflow design. And I was like, you know, I know there's this thing where you can learn to be a fun developer. I have to learn JavaScript, but I think I could do it. And I just decided that that was something I wanted to do. So I sat down for a few weeks and I went through all of the like, the basic web development modules and free code camp to like really solidify my HTML and CSS skills. And that was pretty easy to me because Webflow taught me a lot of that stuff. And then when it came to the JavaScript side, I was completely green. I had no experience writing any sort of JavaScript. And that's when I found Scrimba. And that was like a game changer for me because the way that it was taught allowed me to feel like I had an actual instructor. And it was funny because I thought the instructors on Scrimba did a better job teaching me the information I was learning than some of my instructors I had in college. So No way. That's awesome to hear. <laughs> yeah. How did you go about devising your own curriculum, I guess? Because, I mean, you started with free code camp, switched to Scrimba. Somehow I get the impression you were like still doing some of your projects and stuff on the side. I was, yeah. So how did you kind of plan your day and manage your studies? I would say not as organized as I could have. But I think I was just so enthusiastic about like reaching the goal that I kind of overcame my disorganization. And so I would kind of just make sure mentally to be like, okay, like, this is something I need to work on. And I would push myself to sit down and get started on it. When it came to the free code camp thing, I just followed the different little like modules that they had there. But when it came to Scrimba, I wanted to make sure I didn't like just start a module of the JavaScript course and then not touch it for weeks. Like I was like, I made sure I did it every single day, which was hard at first. But then after a while, it became easy. It's like a habit, right? Like you start building up a streak and then you get to a point where somehow it's easier to keep going than break your streak because you work so hard to get there. Exactly. I had a printout habit tracker on my wall. No way. That's such a good idea. And you can make one and you don't need to print one out, but I printed one out because like, I'm not very good at making straight lines with my hands. So I would just put an X every single time. I think my criteria was like an hour of, or 30 minutes of learning. And then eventually that raised up my advice to people would be always start extremely small to the point where like it's impossible to fail. So like if it's like five minutes, then it's five minutes and then work up from there. But don't set lofty goals of like two hours because it's going to be hard to hit. And then when you don't hit it, you'll feel guilty and then you'll kind of dig yourself in a hole. I happen to use a habit tracker myself on my phone called Everyday. Uh, so I'm happy to recommend that for people to check out as well. But in, in general, uh, really solid idea, I think. What were some of the challenges you faced teaching yourself to code? It was, I think I really majorly underutilized the Scrimba Discord because I just never used that. I don't know why, like, I just never reach out when I have problems. So I think the challenge I had was like, oh, I could probably solve this problem if I had someone to talk to, but like, I just didn't allow myself to do that. So I kind of had to resort to like Google, which is a really good skill as a developer to have. So I guess that benefited to me, but it made it difficult at times to be like, I have no idea how I'm going to solve this problem. And I don't have anyone to talk to. So I guess I just have to keep trying and I would get frustrated, but it taught me how to overcome and not give up on these problems. I mean, you look at a curriculum or, you know, for a course or for a, a program and there are all these modules, right? HTML, CSS, whatever, maybe algorithms and data structures and even sections on getting a job. But the one section you never see or the two sections you never see is how to Google things effectively and how to stick at problems when you get stuck. I feel like those are two implicit things that every developer has 
to learn at some point, but it's not the kind of thing you sit down and study. It's the kind of thing you build through experience. So probably it doesn't belong in those curriculums anyway, but nonetheless, you have to learn them. Exactly. Problem solving is, uh, I'd say, the most important skill you could have as a developer. I mean, really in life, but especially as a developer, I mean, being able to solve problems independently and like be confronted with something that's what you think is immovable at the time, but then you're able to overcome it just by persistence, really. That's such a good feeling, by the way. Solving a problem you didn't think you could solve. <sighs> 100%. Sitting down and being like, oh, I have no idea how I'm going to do this. It's not possible. And then like after you just kind of dig into it, you're like, oh, I solved that quicker than I ever thought I could. How long did it take you to learn to code at a higher level? And say you took your own advice here and asked for help more often, what impact do you think that would have had on your timeline? I think it would have shortened my timeline because I had the Webflow background. From when I first started using Free Code Camp, like those modules, I, I think that was February of 2022. But then I was kind of like intermittent and in when I would do it. But when I really, really committed to doing it every single day was early April of 2022 is when I hit Scrimba. And then I got my job in early September. So I mean, it took me like five months from when I committed fully to when I got hired but like I feel like I could have been hired a little earlier than that maybe so maybe like four but you know it worked out really well coming up transferable skills and why are they important everyone has specific advantages that other people don't have so you have to take stock of what you're good at I'll be right back with Spencer in just a second but first Jan the producer and I want to read some of your comments from last week First of all, a big shout out to everybody doing 100 Days of Code and listening to the Springba podcast. Currently on Twitter, we have Thomas Pritchard, we have Blake Tolliver, and we have Gubrick, who on his day 32 tweeted, What tech Twitter podcasts do you listen to? These are very informative and motivational. The Screamba podcast, Free Code Camp, and Code Newbie. Thank you. You put us in a very good company. Also, a big shout out to Akshay Gaikwad, I hope I'm pronouncing it right, who is learning and doing projects on Scrimba, listening to the podcast and tweeting about all of it. Emmanuel F. Kuma tweeted, Developers needing help on job hunting, acing interviews and creating great resumes should listen to Randall Canna's Scrimba podcast on becoming a standout developer. It's a real goldmine. And over on LinkedIn, Boris Veselov said, Since I started listening to the Scrimba podcast, I've got another layer of motivation. There's good advice, there's so much knowledge shared, and there are insightful success stories. Thank you, Scrimba. Those would be my picks for this week. What do you think? No, yeah, it's incredible to see all the support on social media. We really appreciate it when people share a link to the episode or give the Scrimba podcast a shout out on social media or sometimes in comments on places like Dev2 and Hashnode. That's really cool to see as well. A little tip for social media is that people tend not to click off the platform. So if you just share a link to the episode, that isn't really going to go very far because Twitter ultimately don't want people to leave the platform. And just in this day and age, people don't tend to click a tweet that says, hey, check out this episode unless they've been looking forward to it or know the person. But what people do really appreciate and I think could earn you more followers and get more engagement and help you meet new people on social media while also supporting the podcast is to share like your key learnings, like a takeaway or something that resonated with you or ask a follow-up question make sure to tag me my username is booker codes you can always find it in the show notes i'm going to be retweeting five tweets next week at least that mention the podcast and get the conversation started we're really trying quite actively to bring the community a little bit closer together here instead of making this a podcast where we just you know talk one way unidirectionally we're really trying to stimulate that conversation and we hope you'll be a part of it all right once again alex's twitter handle 
handle is in the show notes. And now we're back to the interview with Spencer. A lot of people, when they are learning to code or complete a curriculum, they wonder, am I ready to start applying? And actually it kind of catches them by surprise sometimes because you've got your head down coding and then all of a sudden you're like, crap, I need to get a job. Getting a job is a skill in and of itself. How did you think about an approach getting your first developer job, Spencer? The thing that uh, I would want to know, like back at the beginning of my search, is that interviewing and finding good opportunities is a skill that like I will 100% get better at when I put time in, just like coding. Like when we started, when we all started coding, we're beginners, we didn't know what we were doing, but like now a lot of us are a lot better than we used to be because we just put in the time and the effort. And the same thing applies to interviewing and being able to find the good opportunities and understand which opportunities you should apply for and which ones you should not apply for. Because there's those kind of opportunities that exist that you just don't want because there's jobs out there that uh, are worse than other jobs. Or maybe they're just not that exciting to you, right? Like, what do you think about this argument about focusing on a handful of jobs where you can genuinely feel like there's a good fit and a good chance versus people who apply to hundreds and hundreds doing easy apply? I think that you might feel better. I mean, mathematically, if you focus on quality opportunities, then your rate of success in terms of like interviews is going to be higher than if you just blast out a whole bunch of applications. And then because like even like when you know you're applying to 100 jobs and you only expect to hear back from three because they're low quality jobs, you still get a feeling of a small feeling of rejection from each one and that builds up. So if, if you want to not feel that, then I would say focus on higher quality opportunities. I'm actually reflecting on the message you wrote in the I Got Hired Scrimba Discord channel when you got the job for the first time. And you spoke a little bit about your top tips, right? Which were to not be afraid to put yourself out there and believe in yourself and overall be consistent even in the face of rejection. Amazing advice. I love it. And it's the kind of thing that we hear and we think, yes, of course, like this makes so much sense. But then the emotional side of it is not always so easy to wrangle. Do you remember how you felt during your job hunting process? And how did you deal with like the emotional side if things didn't quite go your way. Sometimes I'd feel like ecstatic because I would think, oh, I'm getting like these interviews. I have three interviews this week. And sometimes like I wouldn't have any and I would feel terrible. It would really help me this. I think I haven't heard anyone talk about the podcast is to have some sort of personal philosophy or like established philosophy that you kind of live by. So for me, it was stoicism and stoicism is really big on worrying about like what you can control. And so for me, the emotions will always be there. Like if you're getting rejected, if you do bad in an interview, if you feel like you're you're not getting your responses. You know, you can control those things a bit. Maybe you can optimize your resume or you can prepare more or you can continue to learn code and get better in interviews. But at the end of the day, a lot of these things are out of your control and you just have to derive your happiness and success from things that like you can't control. So it's like, if you've been putting in the hours every day, if you've been sending the applications out, if you've been revising, then you should feel as good as you do when you get an interview, even if you don't, because really at the end of the day, like you have to put your energy into the things you can control and you can't just worry and that's not gonna change anything for you. And on the flip side, really good things you didn't expect can happen as well, right? Like that's kind of out of your control in a way. Oh yeah. Did anything surprise you about your job search? Yes, I got some interviews with some companies and some positions that I didn't think was possible. Like I interviewed with a couple of like pretty big well-known companies and I was pretty surprised. I mean, cause I was able to learn my experience working with Webflow, right? Because like I was working as a web developer in a way with a team. And I think that was relevant experience that I was lucky to have that most people don't have that. 
But what surprised me was like that I still got the opportunity to interview with these companies. And then there's some opportunities that like the whole process, the multiple interview rounds would span over a month, whereas the job I ended up getting hired, I had a, my first interview on a Monday and I ended up getting an offer on a Friday. And it's like the job I ended up getting was the easiest process versus like the ones I didn't get were the most, I would say, difficult processes. Why do you think that is? That's a great question. I think there's a lot of factors that go into that. I think one is like the company itself. I mean, there's some companies don't really have their stuff together when it comes to hiring. It's kind of a mess. But I think this particular situation was because I connected well with who's now my boss, but at the time was my interviewer. I think kind of all of my previous interviews and my previous failures and learnings kind of all compounded and allowed me to like really do well in the initial interview. And I think starting from there, like he was more enthusiastic to move forward with me because he thought I was a good candidate and we connected and ended up getting hired at the end of the week. I mean, it is like the grease for the wheels, right? Like if you have a good connection, if there is a good fit, I think big companies, they have more defined processes it's harder to go outside of those there's more bureaucracy but as smaller and mid-sized businesses i feel like there are opportunities to accelerate the process and they will take those opportunities if they're keen on the candidate and they're worried about you know maybe you're interviewing elsewhere they're worried about missing their opportunity there's no point dilly-daddling essentially when both sides see a good fit you might as well just move ahead full steam so maybe you were feeling the effects of that a little bit oh yeah for sure i mean you could just tell when some companies are like yeah like they don't really care how the interaction go with the candidates they're just sticking to the book whereas like some were just like wow like i enjoyed talking to that candidate i felt like they're a good candidate i want to move forward quicker you know because they, they understand that like they could lose a candidate because drawing a job interview process over a month is a good chance that someone might offer them for that yeah yeah 100 percent Tell us, Spencer, a little bit about the company and the role you're working now. Yeah, so the company I work for, they own a whole bunch of different like financial lending brands all across the United States. And I'm working in the marketing department and I'm developing all the marketing websites for this company. So we have designers, copywriters, the whole team, and uh, essentially I'm the end. And so I get the designs and I develop the product into a working thing. Do you think that like your experience of design has helped you in this role, right? Because I guess, you know, on one hand, you're being prescribed these designs. So I wonder if it even helps to have that design experience. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Especially when the designer kind of gives you just like, oh, the mobile versions, the desktop versions, I'm really good at inferring what things should look like in between like tablet versions or yeah. you know, the smaller breakpoints that kind of get forgotten. Go back 10 years, you maybe had a widescreen view and a narrow screen view or something. And probably this was a time before vector tools like Sketch and Figma. So you got like a Photoshop file and the designer tried to imagine every use case. But today, viewports come in every single size, and there are so many interactions on the page that to prescribe every minor detail via a design file is just not practical or realistic. Uh, I think as a developer, you can bring a lot to the table if you can also bridge the gap and, like you say, infer the middle parts, right? The in-between. Yeah. Uh -huh. And I think that was one thing that maybe was my advantage in the interviews is I interviewed with uh, my boss and then one of the designers, and I talked about how I had a background in design. And I think him knowing that, usually he said there was a big disconnect for him and past developers he worked with when it came to like understanding like where he was coming from and where the developer is coming from and that's a constant battle right the designer wants this really cool thing the developer's like that's gonna be too hard but i think him knowing that i had a design background made him feel more at ease that like i could be empathetic to what he wants i guess i'll point out that you are working on the marketing team doing things like landing pages it sounds like 
And, you know, you're describing a great fit, basically, like your your particular profile for this particular role was perfect. I would say to someone listening who isn't as great at design, perhaps there might be an equally great fit for you. It might just look a little bit different. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you just have to kind of take stock of what, what skills and what, because everyone has specific advantages that other people don't have. Like everyone is different, of course, so people are going to be better at different things. And so you have to take stock of what you're good at and what you can offer that other people can. You have to leverage that. I'm really excited to learn a bit more about what the interview process looked like and how you're getting on. But what do you say we do a quick round of quick fire questions first? Oh yeah, let's go for it. All right, man, who is your favorite coding teacher or your favorite coding course that comes to mind from recent history? Pair, the JavaScript course. And what was your first coding language apart from Scratch, I guess? JavaScript. Well, I guess HTML, but I mean, one that actually has, you know, types and logic, I would say JavaScript. That's always a divisive topic, but I'm with you. <laughs> what about in the future? Are there any technologies or programming languages you're excited to learn next? I'm continuing down the path of being a full-stack developer, so I need to learn Node more than I know now, and uh, Java, maybe even some, we have some legacy sites that are built with .NET, so that's C-sharp, and that's something I want to learn. I also want to learn Python, because you can build a lot of great backend tools with Python. Do you follow or look up to anyone in the tech or design community we should know about and can follow and look up to as well? Maybe on Twitter or YouTube or something. Yeah, let me pull up my YouTube description. So we have one channel called Web Dev Simplified. This guy's really great. He teaches you basics. He teaches you concepts. He has projects. I mean, this guy does a really great job. If you want to be better at design, there's a channel called Design Course. That's Gary Simon, right? Exactly, yeah. Yeah, he's got Scrimba courses. He's really great. I mean, he even teaches some web development. So I would say him. And then another great channel is Traversy Media. Obviously, he's very underrated. He has a lot of great courses and a lot of really relevant courses. I would say that's my top three. Let me ask you a few questions about how you like to work and code. When you're coding, do you prefer coding in the morning or nighttime? I prefer coding in the morning, but it's funny because I usually end up coding late at night when I'm less productive, but morning is always better for me. What about tea or coffee to fuel your work sessions? Right now I'm drinking coffee, but a good English breakfast tea whenever that always. That makes me very proud as a Britain interviewer. <laughs> and what kind of music do you listen to while you're coding? Or do you prefer to play on hard mode and code in silence? I listen to a lot of different music. Sometimes I listen to like kind of like ambient noises, rain sounds, or lo-fi music. Just stimulating enough to eliminate distractions, but not distracting in itself. Exactly, yeah. All right, Spencer, thank you. That's all for the quick fire questions. Thanks for being such a great sport. Let's get back into the interview a little bit. And I did actually want to kind of come back to the beginning in a way, because I remember early in the interview, you described sort of doing graphic design and then doing coding very briefly at school before studying biology and then going on to do accounting. And now you finally ended up doing coding. Talk to us a little bit about how you chose a career in coding. Yeah, I think the coding came from me doing Webflow, which came from me doing design because it was kind of a, a double transition. So like Webflow is a transition from design and coding is a transition from Webflow, but I didn't jump straight from design to coding. So I would say I kind of always was looking up for the next good opportunity. And I felt that when I was a designer, that Webflow would be a great opportunity. And then when I was doing Webflow, I was like, oh, front end developer. Like I actually really like this coding side more than the design side. So then again, I just pivoted to that. So you, you kind of pick coding because you liked it, basically. Right. <laughs> no, I mean, that's a great reason. Don't get me wrong. You have to like coding. 
uh, to, to endure the tough parts as well as enjoy the great parts of coding. But you didn't talk about the career side of things, which I think is interesting, right? Like coding can afford you a lot of really cool professional opportunities. Yes. So of course I knew about the earning potential of being a developer. I mean, that's one of the best perks I would say, but it just wasn't my number one motivating factor because I knew that there's so many avenues in life if you really, really want to, to make a lot of money. And so I was just like, I don't want to sell myself short for maybe what I think is a quick fix for money and then like be miserable. So I was really first focusing on what I liked and then finding opportunities to make money doing that. And I just happened to like something that is pretty easy to make money with. So I was pretty lucky. Webflow is pretty powerful these days. There are even, believe it or not, people listening, there are full-time Webflow jobs available. They're maybe not as prevalent as coding jobs. They're more specialized, but they're there and they pay well. Why didn't you kind of stick to Webflow? I mean, it sounds like you were getting on pretty well with it, but you chose to move on and drop down a level to do the code. Right. Yeah. So when I was doing the Webflow stuff, actually, I was looking at Webflow jobs. But then like when I would search Webflow developer, I would just inevitably get more results for front end developer. And I was just like, I want to improve my chances. I should learn how to code. It's a pretty great skill to have. And then I realized too, like I felt kind of limited and I'm kind of the person that always likes to go a level deeper. And so for me, coding allowed me to have way more control. Whereas Webflow, you kind of are stuck to the limitations that the developers of Webflow allow you to use. And so I really like the feeling of having complete freedom in what I want to build. Yeah. And now I think about it, there are Webflow jobs because some companies have just committed to Webflow, right? And they're using it throughout their whole public facing website or something. But I doubt they're like true technology companies because you're not going to build like a back-end inventory management system with Webflow or a custom point of sale system or something like that, right? It's really for kind of static-ish front-end websites such as landing pages and informational pages. So I guess by nature, that's already a very small subset of all the businesses out there. And then I think for the kind of business that really does just need an informational page, to be honest, you are going to hire a freelancer to do it. So freelancing with Webflow sounds like it could be an incredibly profitable type of business, but there are just much, much less jobs for in-house Webflow people and developers. Exactly. There's great opportunities. And if you want to be a Webflow developer, and that's more some people's speed, if they like, you know, actually, you know, I like being a web developer, but like Webflow is what I like to use and like more power to you. And like, you could definitely find success doing that. That's just not what I wanted to do. All right. So coming back to the kind of main theme of the interview, I guess, about your journey into tech, you described a really rapid turnaround, actually, from, you know, the first interview on a Monday to getting the offer on a Friday. Can you talk us through the process a bit, like what the steps in the interview process were and maybe give us an idea about what kind of questions they asked you and how you best prepared? I applied to that job on Indeed, which for me, when I got replies for Indeed, I thought that was more rare because there was always so many applicants. And my boss actually told me that when I had applied, there was maybe like 400 other people that had applied and he only saw half those applications for some reason. And he happened to see me. What? Yeah. I mean, really just the chances, right? I don't know. I was pretty lucky again. You have to put yourself in a position to get lucky. You have to keep putting yourself out there. Not to deflect too much from your answer, but Indeed is like that by nature. I think you get a lot of like non-technical people applying to every thing and it sounds like polluting the hiring pipeline that's kind of also why people should apply on different channels yeah i got an email um and he's like hey i'd love to connect and i think at that point i was i really felt like at the end of my journey i really felt like i'd already gotten my job even though i had i just felt i felt like accomplished i had gotten all these interviews and i felt like i was having more success i felt like i was very close and so at that point i was already like in the process for a couple of other jobs and he reached out and i was like oh cool another one and uh, i had a monday morning like phone screen interview 
and I was like committed to like really making an impact. So I was just asked, I just asked this guy so many questions that we ended up talking for like an hour. <laughs> and he actually relayed to me later that that was one of the reasons why he wanted to hire me because he said I, I seemed very logical because I asked a lot of questions. What kind of questions did you ask? Everything. I mean, I was asking him about like the technology they use. I was asking him about their processes, what the team looked like, with where he wanted to go with things. Because at that point, I had just become a lot more knowledgeable than I was just a month or two prior. And so I was able to talk in depth and in terms that I wasn't able to talk in just a, you know, a few months. That, that's a great move, like showing as much interest as possible in the role. What happened next? We had a second interview. I think it was on a Wednesday. That was with me and then one of our designers. And that was a really great interview. The designer, he's, he's a really great guy. What a fun to talk to. We connected about my background in design. We connected about the fact that I used to work for an agency. He worked for an agency. So we kind of talked about how hectic it can be. And uh, I think that kind of showed my manager that I was a good fit for the team. And he told me that they like to hire for fit. So I think the fact that I was also focusing on making a human connection was really important because I think one thing we all forget when we're interviewing for these jobs is that we're really just talking to other people. Like, yeah, we might put them on this pedestal because they have a job and they're going to hire us. But at the end of the day, they're just people. And so what we really need to focus on is finding a way to like, connect with them as well. Like really, even if it's outside of coding. It's funny how the dynamic shifts from that interview where, you know, you're in the interview seat, they are in control in that situation. But then when you join the team, you're very much level, right? And you're there together to achieve objectives and move the needle. And it's just interesting remembering that that's going to make up the mass majority of the relationship. And so connecting on the human level, I think is spot on 100%. And uh, I think it was really big too, is at that point, I kind of was like in a mindset where I was like, you know, they're interviewing me, but I'm interviewing them just as much. Like I need to make sure this is a great opportunity for me. So I didn't feel like the pressure kind of alleviates when you kind of put it that way, when you're like, oh, I'm also asking them questions. And like, I asked them a few questions where it kind of had them thinking a little bit, put them on their heels a little bit because they're like, oh, like no one really ever asks us that. So I would say put a lot of focus on asking good in-depth questions. Like those are some questions that I had maybe prepared before or thought about before, but you know, the more you ask those questions, the better you'll get at asking them on the spot. I think there's two levels to your advice there. And it's really interesting because I think everybody listening should follow level one, which is like ask probing questions that demonstrate you're interested in the business and will help you move closer to being excited about the role when you can see all these fits. Plus, don't forget you're gathering intel as well, because as you learn what's important to them in say step one of the interview, in step two, you can emphasize that to the next interviewer who probably shares the same pain points and values. Like you can ask your interviewer, what's some of the biggest challenges the design team is facing right right now. And you might not have a lot to say about it right then, but you're, you're going to go away. You're going to come back and have that second conversation with the designer. Uh, you can be, you can be more prepared. And then the second level, which is a bit more advanced, I think, and it's a lot easier to feel confident and comfortable doing it once you've already been in the industry for a minute, I think, but it's really just kind of like, okay, they're going to give you a hard time and ask you some really hard questions. Like, tell me about a time you had a conflict and you resolved it. Tell me how you live up to our company values and all these things. I think it's really healthy actually to then challenge the company and say, hey, how do you enforce these values? Can you tell me about a time where you know, you've know you lived up to this expectation in terms of the culture and things like that? It is hard to navigate unless you've been in that environment before. I feel like that's why I categorize it as a bit more advanced. But fundamentally what you're saying, Spencer, which I think everybody should take away from this episode is to have a two-way conversation yeah i mean you have to give it to them a little bit i mean you have to show that you're not afraid and you have to show that you're willing to put them on the spot because that shows that you're someone who can stand up for yourself and people want to work with people like that like everyone wants to work with someone that they trust can handle themselves and that shows that did they put you through the ringer at all when it came to like your technical chops? Where did that come into things? No, they really didn't at all. That's the funny thing. This job was like, I'm not even like any technical questions. They maybe asked me my background, 
what's your background with this? But they didn't really drill me at all. But there were other interviews, if we want to talk about them, where I definitely got grilled big time. Why do you think they didn't want to like make you do a coding interview or something like that or bring a take home task in? I believe that would just come down to who my manager is. He's just a really chill guy. Again, like again, like you're working with people, so people are going to be different. And like this is a, a mid-sized company, so we have more leniency in the process. And he just decided that like he didn't want to do that, I guess. But they still they don't want to hire someone who can't do the job, right? So why do you think his confidence was high enough already? Because I had some experience before, you know, working with an agency, and I think that kind of soothed his uh, apprehensions. Um, as well as I had a portfolio that he could look at and look at my code and look at what I was capable of as well. Perfect. I think that's one of the most important reasons to come prepared ahead of your job search with some projects and some demonstrable experience, even if it's not paid, because at the end of the day, they can look at your GitHub profile and see your contributions. They can read your blog post, or your Stack Overflow answers or whatever, and see how you write and think about problems. Sometimes we joke at Scrimber that this is like the diploma of the 21st century, right? Like this combination of online profiles, because they prove that you can do the job in a way. And then the interview process, I guess, with challenges and things, I think there's a few factors that go into it that are not just proving your coding skills. Like that is definitely part of it, but obviously you have a track record online a lot of the time or work experience supported by references. So they should be able to like believe you can do the job in some way, but then they might want you to do the job in a specific way. And if that's the case, the interview process might be designed to prove you can adapt to their way of working. For example, everyone knows that for web development, you know, data structures and algorithms, it's not the most important thing ever. It comes up quite rarely and in specialized cases. Yet at companies like Google and Amazon, they really emphasize this in the interview process. And I think it's mostly just to check, hey, can you fit within our way of working? We really do value and care about these things. If you don't agree, then maybe you're not a good fit here. I think another element of it is like if they have a lot of applicants for the same job, you know, they might want to find a way to differentiate you and give them a great talking point and maybe just see how much you want it as well. Like if you get a take home task and, you know, it's very easy to jump on the call and have a few conversations and be charming and sound good and all that kind of stuff. But obviously, if you get given a take home task or some kind of challenge and you're not willing to put in a few hours to prepare for it, that's going to speak volumes to how much you really care about the opportunity. And that's going to help them, I think, kind of prioritize who to take forward in the process and how to approach giving you an offer and things like that. Anyway, I'm just saying all this because it's not just about proving your coding skills. Like that's not the only thing. They ultimately have a set of questions and problems that they need to solve and improve their confidence with. There are multiple ways to achieve this. And it sounds like in your case, the company were quite flexible about how you like to work and assured by some of your previous track record and work experience. Yeah, exactly. And I think the fact that we connected well, all of us, uh, was a big factor in how smoothly the whole process went. You mentioned that when you got into the first uh, interview, you came prepared with a lot of questions. Did you do that for all of your interviews or was there a reason in particular you felt like you wanted to prepare a bit more for this interview? No, I didn't. This was kind of just like a culmination of all of the previous interviews. Essentially, like I kind of viewed every interview I was doing as me getting ready, learning and growing for the right opportunities. So like every interview before that, I would just get a little better, get a little better. And when I came to this one, I kind of was just like, I was feeling confident and I already had been in enough interviews where I just knew the questions I needed to ask. And I had a, you know, kind of a go-to when it came to like, if I, my mind came to a blank, for some reason, I kind of had a go-to that I could just fall back on. That's again, just a massive testament to why it's so important to warm up and practice getting a job because it is a skill. 100%. Something else you pointed out that I wanted to make sure we pick up on before we wrap up here is your advice to apply on different channels. 
What is a channel and what do you mean by that? So what I mean by a channel is essentially different platforms or maybe even different mediums. So I didn't do this, but some people live in areas where there's a lot of great opportunities for networking, uh, whether that be like code conferences. I'm serious, there's code conferences. You look them up there, probably somewhere around you within driving distance, at least. Like there's areas like that that you can go and you can find people or you can you know apply on LinkedIn, apply on Glassdoor, apply on Indeed. Like just really just increasing your chances with every different place you're putting your application out there. So you would like advise someone to apply on Indeed, but also maybe go on the company's website and apply directly. Oh yeah. Or even on LinkedIn because companies post the same job on several platforms typically. Yeah. I mean, they're not going to disqualify you because you apply for the same job on their website, on LinkedIn and on Indeed. I mean, if anything, it shows that like <laughs> you're thorough and you can find ways to stand out. So I would say it's probably only going to work to your benefit. Yeah. I think that's a good shout in moderation, especially used as a tactic on platforms like Indeed. Or if you see on LinkedIn that there are hundreds of applicants you might listen to an episode like this and realize exactly what you said, Spencer, which is that that's a lot of people to sift through. And even if you're a great candidate, you might fall through the cracks. So take it in your own hands and apply on a couple of platforms, maximize your chance of being seen. Yes. What do you reckon, Spencer? Just to wrap up, I want to hear like, you know, the advice you wish you had when you started coding and on this job hunting journey. Does anything come to mind? I have a couple of things. So one thing is, again, that you will get better. So if you have a bad interview, if you feel like you're not getting responses, you just have to keep going. You have to keep putting in the reps, just like in the gym. I mean, you're going to get stronger, you're going to get better. The only way you're going to do that is by actually doing it. You can't avoid it. You just have to keep pushing, keep trying. Every single day, you have to put that effort out there. And one day you're going to look up, you're going to realize you've come pretty far. You just have to be persistent, really. Like, there's no way you're going to fail. The only way you're going to fail is if you just give up. My second thing that I would say I wish I knew is I was I would always kind of feel anxious or stressed that maybe I wouldn't get an opportunity or that I would mess up a good opportunity when it came to an interview. And I, I just kind of overcame this by focusing on the micro steps needed to achieve my goal. So if that is applying for jobs, like, okay, I'm not getting opportunities. Then I put all my focus in on today. I'm going to do a really good job at finding good opportunities, identifying them, and then crafting my resume specifically for that job or crafting my cover letter specifically for that job so that I maybe just increase my chances. Even if it's marginally, I increase my chances and that's going to really work to my benefit in the long run. Amazing stuff. Spencer, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. It's been an absolute pleasure, mate. Until next time. Until next time. That was the Scramble Podcast, episode 109. Thank you for listening. And if you made it this far, please subscribe. There's a new show every Tuesday. One week we talk to a recently hired junior developer like Spencer. And another week we talk to an industry expert. So you get to learn from both sides. You can find the show wherever you listen to podcasts. The Scrimba Podcast is hosted by Alex Booker. You can find his Twitter handle in the show notes. I've been Jan the Producer and we will be back with you next week.